Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading tonight is on page 971, 971, and is taken from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, thank you so very much. If I may begin by just adding my welcome to that of Will's from earlier, and well done for getting here. It's a blustery and uh, quite a, one of those evenings that uh, you love to get out of the, uh, the, the cold and the wet and come inside. And we're here this evening, as Will has already said, we're here to feast, to nourish, uh, and to bring actually all our anxieties and our worries and all the heavy burdens that we feel. And I hope this passage this evening will, will help us prepare us for the table. This evening really is the, the sort of final sermon in a, in, a, in a short series of three where we've really been thinking about what it is to be kingdom people. The beginning of this year as we set out in 2024, what does Jesus say to us? If we're going to be kingdom people, what is he saying to us? Well, he says that we need to be prayerful, that we need to be humble, and that we need to be faithful people. And it's been great to to, to have this sermon series in conjunction with Isaiah rooted, as it were, in a, in a month of prayer where we are reminding ourselves again of our, of our utter and complete dependence on him. And I think when we come to a subject like this of worry, anxiety, it's particularly one of those areas, isn't it, where we really do need the, the Lord's help. Something that the truth is, is that we're all susceptible, all vulnerable in this space. So before we look at God's word together, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the truth contained within them. We thank you that they are living and active and that your word is sharp. And we pray this evening that you would 
Speak to each one of us in your holy and precious name. Amen. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. You come across that? Quite a famous quote. See, the problem is, is that there is so much to worry about. Pete mentioned this this morning, and it's absolutely true. You know, this the cost of living crisis. You know, it's left us all, hasn't it, counting our pennies, asking actually this winter, can we even afford to put the heating on? The economy, it seems so volatile. And we thought, didn't we, that inflation was dropping, but we heard this week that it spiked again. And if you're worried about those things, then don't, because environmental apocalypse is coming. Governments are accused of of massive self-interest and short-termism without thought of the consequence for those living on the margins and for future generations. Then, of course, there is the threat of religious terrorism or or cyber-terrorism or cyber-crime or or violent crime. And then there is the, the war in Ukraine and Gaza. And now, just to add into the mix, Yemen and the daily threat of the Houthi rebels attacking cargo ships. Really, who knows where that will lead to? And if that wasn't enough to worry about, many developed countries have an aging population and hardly anyone has made enough provision for their pensions. Which means basically, we're all one big economic time bomb. All that is to say, if you love worrying, it's a great time to be alive. And people have always worried. But it does seem that anxiety is a particular feature of our lives today. So I picked up recently that one in four people who contact any counseling service do so because of anxiety. Most are in their 20s and 30s. And the worries are frequently a sort of cocktail of concerns about exams or work pressure or the pressure that's being placed on them because of parents. And all our social connections online, far from reducing stress, have massively increased our anxiety. We worry. Well, Jesus says here, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, I'll let you into a secret. I don't worry a great deal about my appearance. I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) But I do worry about other things. I worry about my aging parents. I worry about my sons. I worry about where we will retire one day. And sometimes... I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm worried. I don't know if you do that. But the night time can be a, a very lonely time. You know, if you're tossing and turning and churning things over in your mind. Or do you know that experience when you lay down at night and the last thing you think about is troubling you and when you wake in the morning, that thing is the first thing that comes into your mind? you know that? I've experienced that. Worry can affect our judgment. It lessens our ability to make good decisions. It renders us increasingly incapable of dealing with life. 
And we try, we try to deal with our worry in all sorts of different ways. So some here will swear by warm baths and essential oils. Maybe crystals, I don't know. Whale sounds, I've heard that. Soothing music. Herbal, tree, herbal tea, acupuncture. Mindfulness, CBT. Others punish their bodies in the gym. Or they, or they seek to, to deal down their worries, as it were, by, by dumbing it down with alcohol or, 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 or pornography or gaming, Netflix, YouTube shorts. All of which, of course, eventually hurt as much as the anxieties that they're supposed to cure. Well, the title of our sermon this evening is The Power of a Faithful Life. And last week we saw that Jesus said that there are basically only two approaches to life. Either we store up treasure on earth or we lay up treasure in heaven. Either we give ourselves to serving money or we give ourselves to serving the heavenly father, our heavenly father. We cannot serve both, Jesus said. We'll either pursue one or the other. If we pursue one, we will never be satisfied. We'll always be anxious, fearful, always pulled in different directions, totally unfruitful as Christians. If we pursue the other, we will have a life, and we will have no reason, actually, in principle at least, to be anxious, because what Scripture is telling us here is that our Heavenly Father will provide for all of our needs. In verse 25, Jesus picks up on this idea uh, that there is only one way to live. And Jesus says, do not worry. Now, upon first reading, that can seem rather unsympathetic on the part of Jesus. You know, it's not the, the kind words of a pastor. Now, worry, it really is everywhere. Perhaps it's the one experience that all of us have in common. So what does Jesus mean when he says, do not worry? Now, Paul Tripp is, uh, is so helpful uh, in, in regards to this. And he makes the point that there is an appropriate level of concern and worry that all of us have over the things in life that we can't change or are out of our control. But that appropriate level of concern can easily slip into over-concern. Overworry, over anxiety. And that is often linked to taking our eyes off of God. And Jesus is saying here, do not over worry. And you know what this looks like. It's when, isn't it, when we, when we allow our minds to be controlled by the situation that we're facing. It's all we think about, it's all we read about, it's all we talk about. Our thoughts and our reflections are, are now controlled by anxiety, by whatever we're facing. And the more that we think about it, the more that we reflect on it, the larger it gets. The more impossible it seems and the more frightened we become. And Jesus says, do not overworry about your life. Incidentally, the, the word for worry in the original here has the idea of being divided, of, of being pulled in different directions at the same time. 
You cannot serve two masters. And Jesus is saying, in a world full of worry, we've got to keep our focus on him, on Christ. See, he's the only one to give us the context in which to see our circumstances. We've got to keep bringing everything back to him. So I want us to notice this evening three things from this passage. First, worry misses the point of life. Look down there at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, a few here tonight, but perhaps some will worry about how we're going to get our next meal. Although millions around the world will be worrying about that. But many of us here have an unhealthy relationship with food. See, many people resort to food and drink to comfort them, to give them a sense of control or stimulus or relaxation. See, food and drink, they have an almost spiritual significance in the life of many people. Eating superfoods, eating clean, detoxing, eating food with the smallest possible carbon footprint. If you've noticed recently, it's all about gut health. What about clothes? Clothing and appearance, you know, they are a constant source of worry for many. Clothes are worn one day and thrown out or returned to the shop the next day. Millions of men and women are anxious enough about their appearance to, to actually go to extreme lengths to attain almost impossible standards of appearance. Now, as you know, we were in Istanbul just before Christmas, and despite the encouragement of my sons, I didn't go for a hair transplant. But, you know, many were there for plastic surgery to reduce, injections to fill out, surgeries to implant, to attain that perfect body. And then there are carefully selected images on Instagram, as well as the images presented to us in advertising, that can convince us that certain body shapes are not only the only attractive kind of shape, but are within the reach of all of us, provided we work hard enough, eat clean enough, and groom carefully enough. Lifestyles, actually, that are only available to a very small fraction of this planet's population. They are expected as a, as a normal standard for all of us to aspire to. And this kind of life, if we allow ourselves to pursue these things, Jesus said they will be a burden a heavy burden that will weigh us down and slowly drain life out of us. You see, in these verses, Jesus wants each one of us to be free from that. He wants his followers to be free from that. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes, more than possessions? Now, over the last few weeks, we've been clearing out Naomi's family home, cupboards full of memories. If you've ever done that, you will know what I mean. 
photographs, letters, wardrobes full of clothes, bookshelves, board games that we played together, ornaments, pictures, furniture. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. You know, the Bible says, doesn't it, that, that God richly provides us with all these things for our enjoyment. But is that what life is all about? What will your human legacy be? A house full of possessions to be disposed of? A bank account full of money to be left behind? Watch out. Jesus says that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Truth be known is that Naomi's mum and dad didn't have very much, actually. But they're heroes in my mind. See, we remember them for many things, but two things stand out. They were generous people. And they were prayerful people. Lives well lived. I'm reminded of that poem by C.T. Studd, the founder of the mission agency, WEC. I'm sure all of us are familiar with it, but let me read it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I know it's a bit Victorian, it's a bit twee, but, but the sentiment, I think, is, is right. You see, life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. And Jesus says, if you are making God your ambition, you don't need to be over-anxious. If God has given you life itself, why do you think that he will stop giving you what you need to sustain that life? He's got you. He's holding you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard in, the, in these sort of things around anxiety and worry to be logical and rational. You know, when, you're, when you're in the grip of worry, you know, when you wake up in the, in the middle of the night, but Jesus says over-worry is illogical. You know, sometimes you, you find yourself, we find ourselves trapped in spirals of anxiety. We do need to talk to ourselves. And often we need to get others to talk to us. And sometimes it's right to talk to our GP, and that's okay. And it's so important in those moments that we know ourselves and that we notice the telltale signs. CBT can be so helpful. And Jesus here in, in these verses is seeking to help us keep grounded and apply a, a cooling hand of wisdom to our hot heads and troubled hearts. The truth is, this may be you this evening. 
And Jesus here, he seems so concerned that children of his heavenly Father are so overwhelmed with worry. Look at the birds. They don't overworry about where their next meal, next meal is coming from, he says. So worry, we see, misses the point of life. Second, Jesus says, worry can't change anything. Look down at verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, actually, there's, uh, there's some interesting discussion as to what this phrase should be translated as. Is it to add a length to your life or height to your stature? Some debate, and scholars don't know precisely. But in a sense, I want to suggest to you this evening, it doesn't really matter. Now, whether it is to extend our life or, or extend our bodies, the conclusion is the same, is that worrying can't do either. Essentially, over-worrying is pointless. It doesn't add anything to our lives. We know we're not better off, are we, for having worried about something. It doesn't increase our life in any way. Actually, often just the opposite. Worry, it kind of eats away at us. Physically, it can have consequences. It can disrupt our sleep. It can raise our blood pressure. Emotionally. And psychologically, and anxiety can paralyze us. It can stop us enjoying one another's company. It can hold us back from making decisions about jobs or relationships. But even more important than that are the spiritual consequences of worry. I feel sure that being anxious and upset, actually, is what kept Martha from sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. What a missed opportunity. In Matthew 13, Jesus actually uses the same word in the parable of the sower that explains that the worries and the anxieties of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth in many people's lives, actually what happens, it chokes God's word and makes it unfruitful. See, the bottom line is, is that worry and anxiety, because we're so distracted, it can have the impact, not always, but it can have the impact of stopping us growing as Christians. Because ultimately, worry is the opposite of trust. See, if our Heavenly Father has promised to give us what we need for life, then part of our journey of faith is learning to trust him. And this is not binary. It's not something that just happens just like that. The Lord knows that we're on a journey and he knows us individually and he knows what we struggle with and he knows the way that we are made. So he's deeply sympathetic and understanding. But he is here saying to each of us, wherever we are this evening, I am here to help you with your anxiety. I understand. I'm gentle and I'm generous and I'm kind. Come to me. And as if to, to sort of make the point, Jesus then turns from the birds to the flowers. Look down at verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Look at the flowers, 
Jesus says. They're, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. But even Solomon, the greatest king of Israel, wasn't provided for like them. Is that is how God clothes the flowers? Of course, he'll take care of you. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? One author I was uh, reading this week said, most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. And sometimes we do need to talk to ourselves or invite others who we trust to talk to us. I certainly do. I do that an awful lot. I lose perspective, feeling low. I gather people around me and ask them to speak to me, speak truth. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of some basic truths. So when I find myself over-anxious or waking up in the middle of the night, I remind myself to cast your cares on the Lord. Johnny, cast your cares on him and he will sustain you. His word says that he will not let the righteous be, sh- be shaken. Now, if we've given ourselves over the years to, to memorizing scripture, this is where it becomes particularly useful. Or I say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Or whether it's your life or what you eat or your body and what you wear, your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows what your anxieties are. He knows what you need for today and for tomorrow. The pagans, they they spend their lives running after these things, as Jesus says, but your heavenly Father knows, knows what you need and will provide for them. So worry misses the point of life. Worry can't change anything. Then third, we see here, seek God. Now, when we, when we step back, when you step back from this passage, you immediately see that, is, that it actually it's, a much, it's much more here than just an examination of worry. It's really actually a, a detailed unpacking of who we put our trust in, of who we serve, of who has our hearts, of where our treasure is. See, do we believe that our Heavenly Father has got us that our Heavenly Father wants the best for us and our Heavenly Father is watching over us. It teaches us that behind every moment of over-worry actually is a war for the heart. This battle is about whether our hearts will be effectively and functionally ruled by faith in our Father or trust in ourselves, ruled by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. You see, because of our sin, our struggles with the kingdom of self are so pervasive and seductive that Jesus effectively spends verse 19 through to verse 32 unpacking this dynamic, this struggle that we have between the battle of of serving God and serving the kingdom of God or serving ourselves and allowing our anxieties to drive us and distract us. And it's not until the first word of verse 33, but, that we come to the turn of the passage and the call to live for the kingdom of God. To fix our eyes on Jesus. 
Essentially, what Jesus says is that the kingdom of self is driven by a pursuit of earthbound treasures and anxiety-bound needs. The kingdom of self shrinks life down to a catalogue of physical, experiential treasures and a list of personal needs. See, in this kingdom, I live to make sure that I acquire what I want and I fulfill my needs. Now, before you say, well, Johnny, I don't live that way. Let me ask you, how much of your worry in the last month has anything whatsoever to do with the kingdom of God? Well, let me just clarify something. And it's really important to understand that verse 33 is not read as a promise that all our material needs will be met this side of eternity. The truth is we, we only need to, to look around the world and see that there are Christians for whom poverty and hunger are commonplace. It's when we need to remember that, that Jesus is principally talking here about our spiritual needs, about building up treasure in heaven, not on earth. The truth is the faith and trust in God of many Christians who suffer in this way and in other ways like persecution often have a far more vibrant faith than us. I've seen this in my role as, as, chair, as a chair of, a, of a, a mission agency. You know, they, they know what it is actually often to be utterly dependent on God. And the truth is, is they wouldn't swap what they have spiritually in Christ for a life in our materialistic West. I've been in conversations with people and they, they feel sorry for us. We're so distracted by, by materialism. We have it all and so we don't need to turn to Christ. So the Lord is, is not promising here a, a life of ease. But what he's saying is, make God's concerns yours and he'll make your concerns his. To seek his kingdom is to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is to want to spread his reign and his rule in our own lives. It is letting Jesus be the Lord of every part of our thinking and hearts, our relationships, our families, our identity, our sexuality, our careers, our bank accounts, our investments, our pension pots. Jesus should reign in our friendships, in our relationships, in our marriages, in the way we relate to our children and the way we relate to our parents. It's wanting Jesus to be known by others as Lord and Savior. It's speaking about him, living for him, and seeking his righteousness or justice in every area of life. Make God's concerns yours. Jesus promises he will make your concerns his. And as we end, the question is, how will you live today? Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus is not promising here a, a trouble-free life for Christians. In Matthew 25, he promises that his followers may well be hungry or, or thirsty or lonely or sick or in need. 
But even then, even in those situations, he says that we don't need to be over-anxious or over-worry because he won't abandon us. How will you live today? And it really, it comes down to who are we serving? Who is the master of our life? Why is our Father in heaven so much better? See, it's remembering that when we are suffering from anxiety, and we all do and will, we're not just dependent on friends or CBT, but we are reaching out to a person reaching out in our prayers to God who is deeply concerned for us. But more than that, reaching out to our Heavenly Father who has the strength to hold us, to comfort us, to guide us and lead us to a place of rest and trust. That's the hope and the beauty of the gospel. You may be feeling deeply anxious this evening, full of worry. This sermon may have even made you more worried. But the point is, is that Christ is here. He presents himself at the table and says, come. You may have gone to all sorts of different places to find peace. The only place ultimately you'll find it is in Christ. It is why the, the Lord's table is so precious. It's a place where we bring our worries and our anxieties. We bring them to the foot of the cross. It's also our memory verse for the year. I hope by now you've, you've picked up your, your card, you've popped it on the fridge. You know, I really do believe that, that, that one of the things, maybe the most important thing that the Lord is teaching us as individuals and as a church and maybe he's doing that through our own anxiety and worry. But I think he's teaching us that in our own strength, we can't do it. He's teaching us to learn that we are utterly and completely dependent on Christ. Not only as individuals, but also as a church. So let me read this verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 to 31. As I finish, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, those who trust in the Lord, will renew their strength. It's a great promise to hold on to. Amen.